And today I pray that you're going to resolve, after hearing what the Lord has to say to you, I pray that you're going to resolve to allow Easter to happen in and through your life today. So far in our Facing the Giants series, we have learned how to defeat our discouragement, how to lift our loneliness, how to win against worry, how to target our temptation, how to attack our anger, and today we will begin dealing with doubt. Dealing with doubt. Mr. Jones called his pastor from the hospital one day and frantically said, oh, pastor, come quickly. My son, John, has just been bitten by a rattlesnake and he is at the point of death. Of course, the pastor hurried to the side of this worried father and the father said, pastor, pray for my son. I have promised the Lord that if my son recovers, I will come back to church. I will bring my family back to church and I will start living for the Lord again. And so the pastor began to pray. He said, dear Lord, we come to you on behalf of Mr. Jones's son, praying that he might recover from this rattlesnake bite. But we also want to praise you. We want to praise you for sending this rattlesnake to bite his son. This one rattlesnake has done what I or the church has been unable to do in the life of Mr. Jones for the last five years. During all this time, he has not been interested in his own spiritual well-being. He has not been interested in the spiritual well-being of his children or of his family. And this one rattlesnake has managed to turn his mind back to you. Lord, could it be that many of our church members are in need of bigger and better rattlesnakes? It might be the most defining question of the entire human race. That one word question, why? Why? Of all of God's creations, we are the only ones who seek to understand why. Of all of God's creations, human beings are the only ones who seek to understand the reason why. Humans will go to incredible lengths to find the meaning. Why? We will split the atom to do what? Find out what's inside. We'll push off into space. Why? To find out what's out there. Why? But the deeper questions of life can often be very difficult to answer. Where is that child that I lost? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What might have happened if I'd have chosen a different road in my marriage? What might have happened had I chosen a different road with my career? What would have happened if I chose a different road with my faith? 
the answers to those questions escape us, sometimes we suffer from doubt. For most of us, doubt come after a, a painful or a shocking situation in our life. And we ask the question of questions. Why, Lord? Why? Why, Lord? Why? So let us seek to understand that word doubt. Let's, let us seek to understand what that word doubt means in the Bible. In the original language of the Bible, doubt means feelings of uncertainty or lack of a firm conviction. When it comes to your faith, do you have feelings of uncertainty? Are there some areas of your spiritual life that lack a firm conviction? Then maybe you suffer from doubt. Now what I, you need to know from the very outset of this message is this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not bad. Doubt is not wicked, it's not evil. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Get this, doubt is the opportunity of faith. Doubt gives you the opportunity to ask questions, find out the answers to those questions, and locate the truth. So doubt is not bad. See, the true enemy of faith is not doubt. The true enemy of faith is unbelief. Unbelief. And unbelief fails to ask any questions whatsoever. Now, the Old Testament shows us doubters at every turn. David could be a first-class doubter. As Job suffered, he asked a lot of questions. Solomon, filled with doubt. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, filled with doubt. But the New Testament also shows us some first-class doubters. The New Testament, John the Baptist is preaching piercing, piercing sermons on the need of repentance, the need to turn away from sin. He's preaching these messages, but then also he turns around and he asks a whole lot of questions. One minute, John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he's preaching his heart out. Man, he is announcing the Lamb of God. He is proclaiming that Lamb to be the, the Son of God. He is baptizing the Son of God in the Jordan River. He is hearing the voice of God coming from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the next minute, John the Baptist is sitting behind bars under arrest from King Herod, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we look for somebody else? John the Baptist, a first class doubter. I mean, if doubt can come to a man that Jesus said, among those born of a woman, there is not one greater than John the Baptist, then guess what? Doubt can come to us. As well. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, 
11 disciples had gone to Galilee as Jesus had instructed. And in verse 17 says, when they got there, they saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. They worshiped, but some doubted. They saw the resurrected Lord Jesus, and they worshiped, but some doubted. That's the same thing that happens in our churches today. Maybe you come here to worship. Maybe you believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. But maybe there are some doubts that persist in your life. History's most notorious doubter is Doubting Thomas. A disciple of Jesus Christ. Thomas is a questioner first class. And he's unwilling to accept anything by hearsay. At times, Thomas was known to get depressed. At other times, Thomas only saw the negative side of things. But the Lord Jesus had handpicked Thomas to be one of his closest friends. A doubter. A questioner. And yet, Jesus chose him to be one of his closest friends. And as Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room, Jesus tells all the boys, amen, tells all the boys, you know where I got to go, and you know how it's got to happen. How? Because I've already told you a gazillion times, right? You know where I must go, and you know how it must happen, and then Thomas spouts off. The first one to reply to that, and he says, Lord, we ain't got no idea where you're going, and how could we know how it's going to happen? First person to ask a question. You see, doubters... Talk straight. Doubters like clear words. Doubters want hard, firm answers. That's the Thomas of the Bible. Straightforward, down to earth, taking nothing for granted. But the defining moment for Thomas comes in John chapter 20. It happened in a room that Thomas entered in fear. He may have entered in fear, but he departed in faith. So let's you and I enter that room this morning. Let's enter in and discover some secrets to dealing with your doubt. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20, Beginning in verse 24, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now Thomas, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here 
and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And the Lord, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. To which Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The first secret that I want to share with you comes in verse 24. The first secret about dealing with your doubt. And that is, doubt develops in isolation. Let's read that again in verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas missed all the fireworks. He missed it. Jesus had appeared to his friends. He had showed his wounds. He had given direction for the future. And friends, the disciples were joyful and they were in awe. Jesus was alive. Could it be true? You're darn tootin' it was true. He was right there in the flesh. But Thomas was not. Thomas was not. Ten men had gathered together to grieve the loss of their Savior together. See, that's why we mourn and grieve together so that we can draw uh, encouragement from one another together. During difficult times, friend, I'm going to tell you, solitude is not recommended. Don't isolate yourself when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a period of doubt. Don't isolate yourself. Don't live in solitude. Friend, we need each other. In the darkness of solitude, doubts blossom and grow bigger. Remember John the Baptist? His doubts were fed when he was in the darkness of his isolated prison cell. His doubts were growing. I want to tell you, friend, in difficult times, don't isolate yourself. In doubting times, don't isolate yourself. Even famous Christian author C.S. Lewis admitted that he sometimes struggled with doubt. He said, especially when he was on the road away from his friends and family. That's when he would struggle with doubt. So, friend, if you stay connected to people, especially your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, stay connected. Then you're going to be far more likely to stay connected to your faith. Don't isolate yourself. Why? Because doubt develops in isolation. Now, the next secret is found in verse 25, and we find in verse 25 that doubt demands evidence. Evidence, verse 25. Then the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, true doubt stubbornly pursues the truth. That's why doubt's not bad. Because true doubt doesn't stop until it finds the truth. 
It keeps asking questions. It keeps seeking evidence until it finds the truth, until it finds the bottom line. When Jesus told the disciples that they were getting ready to go to Jerusalem, it was Thomas who first spouted his mouth off and said, wait a minute, Jesus, it's too dangerous there. If we go to Jerusalem, we might get killed. And guess what? Thomas's prediction was true, at least for Jesus, amen? If they'd only listened to Thomas, Jesus never would have died. Oh, they just would have listened to Thomas. But now he was saying, I told you so. You just listen to me. But after Jesus is raised from the grave, when the disciples try to tell, G tell Thomas the good news that Jesus has been raised, what does he say? What does he say? He delivers the doubter's creed. The doubter's creed. I'll believe it when I see it. No, no, no. Scratch that. Thomas goes further than that. He says, I'll believe it when I feel it. seem like we are attacking Thomas. Man, we're always knocking no doubting Thomas for not believing simply because he wanted to see the evidence. The other disciples got the opportunity to see the evidence in the previous week. They had already seen all the evidence. At least Thomas is being honest, right? At least he's asking questions. He just calls it like he sees it. He didn't say that it was impossible. He didn't reject the possibility of a miracle. He just wants to test the evidence personally. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with having some questions answered. Because here's what happened. At the point of that evidence, Jesus met Thomas. At the point of that evidence, Jesus met Thomas. So friends, I want to tell you that if you'll just ask God, ask God to clarify a doubt. Ask God to answer your questions. I want to tell you that over time, he will always, always, always answer you. Always. You might just have to be patient for your answer. So doubt develops in isolation. But also doubt demands evidence. Now another secret to dealing with uh, doubt is the fact that doubt draws us back to Christ. Look in verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. He'd been drawn back by this proclamation that Jesus was alive. They were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace unto you. So here's the scene. Same upper room, only eight days later. Eight days later, for one whole week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has separated Thomas from his friends. There's been a separation there. It's important to see that despite his doubts, Thomas continued to pursue the truth. He continued to pursue whether this statement that Jesus Christ was alive was true or not. See, that's the big difference, friend, between Doubt and unbelief. That's the big difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to investigate this. And I'm going to find the truth. 
Unbelief says, on the other hand, sure, if you guys want to go on believing this, do what you want to do, I'm out of here. I ain't listening to no more of this. But what does Thomas do? He sticks around, he asks questions, and guess what happens? He gets his answer. He gets his answer. Ultimately, friends, Christianity boils down to more than just a theological question. It boils down to more than just an answer to a question. It boils down to an experience with the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Did you have all your questions answered when you first came to Jesus? None, hardly. All you knew was some answers to a very few questions. But as you begin to experience life in Christ, as you begin to experience the power of Christ in and through your life, then all of a sudden more and more evidence came to play. So it's not just about answering questions because, because that experience of God working in us and God working through us provides evidence. I never saw a whole lot of evidence the day that I came to Christ. But in years to follow, as I caught some, as I shared some, as I, as I shared the good news some, as I ministered some, I would see the power of Jesus Christ being manifest on other people. That's what Thomas did. He asked the right question. He pursued his doubts. He stayed among faithful friends, and it landed him right smack in the presence of his resurrected Savior. It drew him back to Jesus. Now, here's uh, your fourth secret about uh, doubting, and that is doubt will deepen your faith. Look there in verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hand and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Consider this for a second. Of all the disciples, which disciple had the strongest testimony? Could it be Peter? He almost walked on water. I say almost because he was gurgling as he was saying, Lord, save me. <laughs> right? So Peter was he's a pretty convincing disciple. Could it be uh, James or John? One of those two brothers of thunder as they shared the gospel. Could they have been the strongest testimony? Or could it be the one that plunged his hand into the jagged wound that the spear had caused? Could it be the one who ran his finger over the wrist of Christ, feeling the print of the nails? Could he have had the strongest testimony? Which other disciple actually remembered for the rest of his life what the resurrected body of Jesus Christ felt like? Who had the strongest testimony? Only the doubter. You know, Thomas. Of all the disciples, Thomas was the only one who had the most complete knowledge. Why? Because his heart, his eyes, and his hands confirmed the truth. Jesus was alive. 
See, that's what happens for the true doubter that pursues through his or her questions. They get rewarded. And you know what that reward is? Assurance. They get assured that Jesus is alive. And you know, Jesus offered this same assurance that he offered to Thomas to all the other disciples as well. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 38, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, and he asked the boys, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I clearly have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus makes you the very same offer. Are you unsure? Some parts of the Bible cause you to doubt a little bit. Jesus says, dive in, reach in, and experience it for yourself. You ain't got to take my word for it. You ain't got to take some preacher's word for it. Reach in and experience Christianity for yourself. Very rarely will a one-time visitor who gets saved be the Christian that God wants him to be. He's got to experience it. He's got to experience the power of Jesus. He's got to experience life in Christ. He's got to go through some hard times to see that God is good. He's got to go through trials to see that Jesus will walk with him through the fire. Reach in and experience for yourself. When you're willing to reach out and touch, he'll show you his hands and feet. He'll show you that his hands and feet are on your body. Amen? He wants to use your hands as his own. He wants to use your feet as his own. Reach in and experience it for yourself. But in the meantime, I want to tell you that God is big enough to handle all the questions that trouble you. He knows all the answers just be honest with him. Be honest about your doubts. Friend, repressed doubts that you stick away in the closet can become the devil's wedge. Be honest with your doubts and bring them before the Lord. Those repressed doubts are kind of like a letter from the IRS. Amen? You get that letter from the IRS and you're scared to open it. Amen? I don't want to know what's in it. And so what do you do? You put it under the rug. You put it in the closet. You put it in the drawer. But then you begin to stress about it. And you begin to think, oh my goodness, what's in that letter? Oh my goodness, are they going to put a lien on my paycheck? Oh my goodness, I'm stressing out. And sure enough, the stress from knowing that that letter's there is more trouble than what's in the letter. Amen? So don't ignore your doubts. Examine them Thoroughly discuss them with faithful friends and have the courage. This is a big one. Have the courage to act on what you find. 
have the courage to act on the convictions that you find as a result of your doubt. See, God has somehow outlasted thousands of years of champion doubters. He's still God. He's still on the throne. Your question, your doubt, is not going to cause God any problem. So why don't you just bring your doubts to God? He can handle them. He can handle them. Your doubts and your questions don't scare God. He can handle them if you'll just bring your doubts to him. But if you hide them, if you hide them in the same place that you hid that IRS letter, then, friends, it's going to start collecting interest. Your doubts are going to build, and eventually it will bankrupt your faith. So bring your doubts to God. If your doubts will deepen your faith if you'll just handle them properly. Now, the final secret that I want to share for you before we go is the fact that doubt defines our faith. Look there in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Hold that picture right there, brother. What are those? Question mark. What happens when you straighten out a question mark? An exclamation point. I don't know if your Bible's got one, but mine does. My Bible says, my Lord and my God, exclamation point. Amen? What God do? God turned a question mark into an exclamation point, an exclamation, a declaration that this was true. Friends, listen here. When you get that question mark straightened out in your life, it will become a declaration in your life. Honest questions always lead to powerful declarations. My Lord and my God. You are him. You are my Lord and my God. Man, it's difficult to even say that without being empowered. My Lord and my God. If you say that enough times, you will also feel empowered. This that we're reading about today is one of the ultimate turning points in the whole Bible. It's the point where the resurrection of Jesus Christ transformed somebody's life. Transform yours as well. It transforms life. You know, one of the most powerful testimonies comes from a once hostile witness. Think about this. The Christian testimony of a converted atheist has great power. Would you agree? How about the Christian testimony of a former abortion activist. Man, their, their testimony has a lot of weight. Think about the Bible-believing testimony of a former evolution scientist. Man, their, their, their witness is strikingly believable. Their testimony is not powerful because they're better than me and you. Their testimony is not powerful because of the sway that the enemy had over them. No, their testimony is strong because they resolve to ask the hard questions and allow their doubts to lead them to the truth. My Lord and my God is the truth. And that's where your doubts will lead you if you'll just resolve to ask those questions. When you get where you're going, you'll be just like Doubting Thomas. You'll be just like him, and you'll replace that question mark with an exclamation point, and you too will say, my Lord and my God, Jesus, you are him. 
man, wouldn't it have been awesome to have been there in the upper room at that moment when Doubting Thomas saw, felt, and believed? When the resurrection of Jesus Christ transformed his life, wouldn't that have been awesome to have been there? But have you ever thought about this? Why in the world would God include a narrative about one of the closest friends of Jesus doubting? I can't believe God did that. I can't believe he put this in the Bible about this closest man who had been with Jesus for three years doubting. Doubting that he could be who he said he was. Well, John concludes this chapter by telling us why. Look there in verse 30 of John chapter 20. And John tells us that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It may have looked like it was about the doubting, but it had nothing to do with the doubting. It had everything to do with the believing. It's never about the doubting. It's always about the believing. So, friend, I want to encourage you today. Don't wait for a rattlesnake bite to get you focused on your spiritual well-being. And rattlesnake bites come in all shapes, forms, sizes, and combinations. Don't wait for that life-changing incident to get you right with God. Don't wait for that life-changing incident for you to take up your role as a godly father and a godly husband. Don't wait for your world to be turned upside down before you decide you're going to get right with God. Why don't you do it before you get bitten? First Corinthians, Paul tells us what we need to do to avoid getting bitten. He writes to this church, and it's interesting that he's writing this to believers, just like me and you. And he says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you take. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again the third day, according to the scriptures. But here's some more good news. Are you ready? Are you ready? And he was seen by Stephen, and then by the twelve, and then he was seen by over 500 brothers at one time, whom the greater part remained present, although some had died. After that, he was seen by James, and then by me, the last of all the apostles, one born out of due time. Friend, the evidence is right here. The evidence is right here. If you have doubt, all you have to do is explore the answer to your questions. You know, be like Jesus last week, this morning, we talked about this. We talked about pursuing through our doubts. There are a lot of 
seemingly unbelievable things in this book. Miracles I ain't never seen. But if this is what I trust in, then this is where my belief, where my faith is going to land. Amen. I pray that your faith is going to land you in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that if you don't have one today, you can by the time this uh, service is over with this morning. Do you have the courage to act on your conviction? Let me pray for you. Father God,